I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And good morning, we welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the winning of the lost and the edification of God's saints. Gospel Dynamite is a ministry of Asbury Baptist Church located at 218 Asbury Church Road, Seagrove, North Carolina. I did to visit our church on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. Now will you join me in studying the Word of God? You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. Let's turn our Bibles to Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. And we look at verses 1 through 5 as well as verses 20 and 21. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given unto thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat. And the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. Now verses 20 and 21. So the people shouted when the priest blew with the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and ass, with the edge of the sword. The ancient city of Jericho was a great walled city. History tells us that it was surrounded by two massive stone walls. The outer wall was six foot thick and 20 feet high. The inner wall was 12 feet thick and 30 feet high. There was a 15-foot guarded walkway between these two walls. And from a military standpoint, it was practically impenetrable. This great walled city stood as an obstacle between the people of Israel and them claiming all that God had for them. Before they could go deeper into the land of Canaan, Jericho had to fall first. Now for us, the ancient city represents those things that are entrenched and rooted in our lives that prevent us from going on with God. And oh yes, we have those. Regardless of how pious you may think you are, there are things embedded in your life that hinder your walk with God. It may be some besetting sin that prevents your walk with God and prevents you from going deeper in the things of God. 
It may be a root of bitterness and unforgiveness that stands between you and God's best. It could be something from your past that you're continuing to struggle with to this day. Before you will ever receive all God that he has for you, that stronghold must be torn down. Now I call your attention, though I did not read it, because we spent ample time in it last session, chapter 5, verses 13 and 15. Because our battle with life's strongholds involves confrontation. The setting of these two verses is Joshua surveying the city of Jericho. He has a strange encounter with a stranger. This encounter would change the course of events at Jericho. Now this individual that Joshua meets outside the walls of Jericho identifies himself as the captain of the host of the Lord. It's certainly of my opinion, and not only mine, but many others, that this is what's called a Christophany. That is, it is a personal pre-Bethlehem manifestation and appearance of the Lord Jesus himself. In other words, Joshua came face to face with Jesus Christ. Now for us, this pictures the matter of salvation. Before we can ever go on to victory, we must first begin the journey. And the journey is commenced at salvation. I offer the invitation at the very onset of the message. Have you accepted Christ as Savior? Have you met him? Is he your Savior? And I want you to notice here, I didn't ask whether you were a Baptist. I asked whether or not you were a believer. I didn't ask whether you're a church member or if you had been baptized. In fact, you can be baptized so many times and the bullfrogs recognize you by the smell of your socks and you can still go to hell. My question is, was, and will ever remain, are you saved? When someone the size of God gets inside of you, you'll be aware of it. Have you had that personal confrontation with him? This is just a thought, but notice that Joshua's encounter with the Lord caused him to bow down in worship in chapter 5 and verse 14. You see that? Your desire to worship says a lot about your relationship with God. Next, the Lord tells Joshua that he is the captain of the Lord's host. That is, he is the one who is always victorious. He is the one who is walking in victory even before the battle is fought. In other words, he is the one who is in control of all situations. He is merely reminding Joshua who really is fighting this battle. For us, it speaks also of the great matter of our sanctification. That is, of our coming to the place where we recognize that if there will ever be victories in our own life, they will come about because of his power and not of our own strength. We must understand that we are to yield to his power in every area of our lives, and we are to trust him to secure the victory for us in every battle we fight. So then, 
Sanctification is our coming to the place where we dedicate our lives to him and trust him to bring us to the place of victory. Sanctification is us acknowledging him to be Lord in every area of our lives. And I trust that's true of you. Or are there areas of your life that are just simply off limits for God? Real sanctification knows that he is Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. Further, when Joshua meets this man, there are a couple things that are strange about this meeting. First, there is the Lord's answer to Joshua's challenge. Joshua asked, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And the Lord answered, No. And that's really strange because there's the matter of what the Lord tells Joshua to do in verse 15. There he is told to loose his shoe, singular, off of his foot, which is also singular. Why just one? When Moses met the Lord at the burning bush, he was told to remove both shoes in Exodus 3 and 5. Now that's a bit strange to me. Yet these two events speak to us about the matter of surrender. When Joshua asked the Lord if he was for Israel or for Israel's enemies, the Lord said no. What the Lord is saying to Joshua is this. Joshua, I did not come to take sides. I came to take over. And this is a call for Joshua to surrender to the authority of the Lord in the battle at Jericho. Joshua is made to realize that God, not Joshua, is behind the victory that will come. My friend, what a lesson for the church. When will we ever learn that our success and our victory is not a matter of our power or ability. When will we realize and understand that this is about God and not us? My friend, God is saying to the church the very same thing. I didn't come here to take sides. I came here to take over. Will you and I do as Joshua and bow to his authority? And only then when we do, that's how the victory is won. Then there's the matter of the shoe. Why did the Lord just ask for one shoe? Well, the answer lies in ancient custom. When a covenant was made between two individuals in which one possessed power to keep the covenant and the other did not, the weaker individual handed the other individual one of his shoes. It was his way of saying, I can't do it, but you can. Now that's seen in the book of Ruth, chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. For Joshua, this was a challenge for him to come to the place where he could admit his own weakness and inability to gain the victory. It was a call for him to surrender to the Lord. For us, we need to learn the truth that we cannot, but he can. And there are some who are listening to me this morning. You've been trying to fight your own battles in your own power, and you keep getting whipped. 
Friend, you need to draw off your shoe, hand it to God, and say, Lord, I cannot fight these battles, but you can. I can't win the victories I need in my life, but you can. And what I'm saying is that we need to come to the place of absolute surrender, to that place where we and all we have are at the feet of God, to the place where we are willing to say, once for all, I cannot, Lord, but you can. Now notice with me that Joshua is a warrior. When he got down before the Lord, he placed himself in a vulnerable position. He exposed his neck. He placed himself in a position where he could not use his own sword. He placed himself in a position of extreme weakness. He was totally yielded to the Lord. Have you ever come to the place in your life that you have been totally yielded to God? If not, you will have to, or you'll never enjoy absolute victory over the strongholds in your life. Secondly, in chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, bringing down the strongholds in your life involves confidence. Another major step in the path towards spiritual victory over the strongholds of life demands confidence in the Lord. Now there are three areas here that Joshua displayed confidence, and these need to be true concerning us as well. In verses 1 and 2, he displayed confidence in God's promises. Before Joshua came to battle against the city of Jericho, he is reminded of God's promises that he gave to Israel, and that was to give Israel the victory. There are past promises in Joshua 2 and 9, and there were present promises in Joshua 6 2. The past promises reminded Joshua of what the Lord had promised to do long ago. Rahab, had known about these promises for 40 years. The present promises reminded Joshua that the Lord had not changed his mind about the matter. And God still intended to give Israel the victory in this matter. As we look at our own strongholds, we may think that we will never see them fall at our feet. However, may we ever remember that God always keeps his promises. He's promised us the victory, and the victory shall be ours. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, 2 Corinthians 2, 14, Romans 8 and verse 37. Whatever God has promised, he is well able to bring to pass. In Romans 4 and verse 21, Ephesians 3 and verse 20. Therefore, let us face our strongholds well assured in the fact that God will do everything he has promised us he will do. In the church life today, we face real issues, real problems, and real spiritual issues. Let me tell you something. If we as believers do not get into the Word of God and become students of the Word of God, you're going to fall like, uh, by the wayside like buzzards falling prey. You're going to simply get out of the game. You're going to fall. You're going to falter. You've got to learn to focus on what God wants to surgically remove from your life. 
verses 3 and 4, we see also God's plan. On the surface, God's plan for Israel's victory seemed pretty strange. After all, what was really required of Israel to bring the walls of Jericho down? Absolutely nothing. When you get right down to it, all they had to do was to follow God's plan and the walls would fall down flat. So what was his plan? Seven priests bearing seven trumpets were going to walk before the ark. And the priest would blow the trumpets and the people were to walk behind the ark and the whole parade was to walk around the city once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, they were to walk around the city seven times and at the end of the seventh time, they were to shout. When this happened, the walls would fall down flat. Strange, huh? I think the lesson for us becomes clear when we take the time to look closely at what the Lord told them to do. Number one, they were to take seven priests. Seven is a biblical number of completion and or fullness. Priests are a picture of an advocate or one who stood between God and men. This is a picture of a complete and perfect advocate. According to the word of God, the saints have a perfect advocate, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ in John, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. And as we come against the strongholds of life, he is making intercession before the throne of God for us, Hebrews 7.25, Romans 8 and verse 34. Secondly, they were to take seven rams, horns, trumpets. The ram was a picture of atonement. Remember when Abraham took Isaac to the top of Moriah to put him to death, it was a ram that provided the atoning, redeeming price for Isaac. So we need a full or a perfect atonement. There will be no real lasting victory over the flesh in the world until you've been saved by the grace of God. And when you become a partaker of God's plan of salvation through the blood of Christ, you are given the power to enjoy victory over and freedom from the power of sin in your life. Romans chapter 6, 1 through 14. Third, they were to take the Ark of the Covenant. The ark represents the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his fullness. In the ark was the golden pot of manna, which speaks of his full provisions. Aaron's budding rod was also in there, and that spoke of Christ's power and his life. The tables of the law were there as well, and these remind us that he is the fulfillment of the law for you and I. The idea is clear. In Jesus Christ, we find all that we need to wage the battle against the strongholds in our lives. He gives us all the provisions we need as we fight, and he has all power in heaven and earth. And he gives us power to walk in newness of life, and he has freed us from the power and the demands of the law, setting us free to live for the Father in power and victory. Number four. They were simply to take these things and walk with them around the city. 
Now, God had promised them the walls of Jericho would fall down as a result. In other words, all they had to do was have confidence in God's plan, walk with the things he had given them, and they would enjoy the victory. He wanted them to do nothing but to walk by faith. What a listen for the church. The secret to living the Christian life, enjoying the victory over your besetting sins, and seeing your strongholds brought down is this. You cannot do it. You cannot live the Christian life by yourself, without Christ. You don't have to live it. Jesus already has. And as you yield to his plan, you let him live through you, and you enjoy his victory. Galatians 2.20, for I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. All God wants you to do is stop trying and just rest in him. He has already won the victory. We win by doing nothing. By merely being in him and having absolute confidence in his plan, we enjoy the victory that only he can give. Also, we have God's power. Israel was about to learn the truth that victory was in the Lord and not in themselves. You know what really burns me up? When I hear some of these mealy-mouthed pastors who are threatened by their churches or deacons or whatever of losing their position as pastor, and I get a call and say, I don't know how I'm going to feed my family. I don't know how I'm going to survive. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to do that. Hey, who do you serve? You serve the king or you serve them? He's in charge of feeding me. He's in charge of leading me. He's in charge of providing for my needs. And he is yours as well. So toughen up and realize it's not about you. It's all about him. Aren't you tired of trying to live life and failing? Then stop doing both and start trusting. Rest in the finished work of Christ. Realize that no one, there's no one to please but God. And if you're in Jesus Christ, he's already satisfied with you. I'm not advocating loose living, far from it. For if you live God's way, you're going to be holier than ever. And you won't have to work so hard to enjoy it. He is the perfect advocate. He is the perfect atonement. He is the fulfillment of the law for us. And there's nothing left for us to do but to rest in the finished work of Christ and enjoy the trip to glory. Why do you think he said it's finished in John 19.30? Because it's finished. Far too many people. Always walk around defeated because they're trying to live up to some standard that's been imposed on them by men. When all they really have to do is rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Chapter 6, verses 6 through 21. Not only does it involve confrontation and confidence, but to remove those strongholds involves conquest.
These verses tell the thrilling story of the victory Israel received at Jericho. Imagine what the people inside the city must have thought. They received the fulfillment of the Lord's promise to them. And as they did, there are several truths here that I want to mention. Their determination. As already been said, they simply did it God's way. They might have been tempted to fight. After all, the people of Jericho were terrified of the Israelites. Yet they just walked. That's all God said for them to do. When you do it God's way, there's always victory. And when will the church ever learn this? It's not about new means and methods. We don't need a new Bible or a new kind of service. Maybe we need to have this fellow or that fella in the preacher revival meeting. After all, those folks down the road had him, and everything changed. And then when the preacher is gone, after a few days, we're all the same way that we were before. No! We don't need any of those things. All we need to do is patiently do it God's way. But notice also their dedication, verses 16 through 20. Israel walked around the city six days, and when they did what happened, the walls of the city for six days did nothing. When they walked around the city six times on the seventh day, what happened? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Why? Because the number six in the Bible is the number of man. Revelation 13, verse 18. Men try as hard as, he, as they can in their own power, but they never obtain victory. And when they marched around the wall the seventh time and shouted, the wall fell down flat. Seven is a number of completion or of God's fullness. Israel kept going in their dedication, in their own power, and into the realm of God. And after marching around the city seven times, they would have been too pooped to fight anyway. My friend, that kind of faith honors God. Verse 25, after the walls fell down, the Israelites went into Jericho, killed everything that lives with the exception of Rahab and her family. In verse 22 through 25. Somebody says, don't that sound extreme? Well, God knew that if the people of Jericho was allowed to live, they would influence the people of Israel away from him. So when the walls of that stronghold came down, everyone in the city had to die. My friends, listen to me. When you come to the place where you can identify the strongholds that are in your life, and God, by his power, brings those things down for you, you might rise up and make sure that every trace of those things is forever eradicated from your life. Think about it. The problem with Jericho wasn't the city. The problem with Jericho was the people in the city. They hated God and all that he stood for and they had to perish. So whatever it takes to root out the strongholds in your life, I challenge you, I challenge you, I challenge you. God will enable you to see those things put to death forever, forever, forever. What is it? that's keeping you from going forward for God.